I'm Chris Davis, and uh, I'll be explaining what I'm talking about. I'm a member of this college, uh, on being the vice president at the present, and I work at the Department of uh, Education around the corner. And uh, I realise that there's quite a sort of very group in terms of sort of involvement or uh, in, in this particular field, so I hope uh, I'll be clear and I'll clarify things I'm talking about, but you're welcome to sort of interrupt me for clarification as I go on, and then obviously there'll be a chance for questions at the end uh, and disagreements and anything else you might wish. Young people do a lot of things with technology. Does that include learning? Uh, and I mean, it's a sort of slightly absurd question because, of course, it does. But in what ways and, and, and what do we want to do with that is really what I plan to, to talk about. Uh, and just to sort of set it in a very broad context as a starting point, some figures not from my own research but from uh, some very recently published research by... Uh, a team led by Sonia Livingston down at the LSE uh, in a, a project called EU Kids Online, uh, a, long, a latest in a long line of projects she's done, focusing mainly on issues of risk and safety online, but some fantastic data. They looked at over 25,000 chil uh, children across Europe, uh, and so these are sort of pretty good figures. Uh, and, and presenting you know, some sort of sense of the scale of things. And, and I accept that it might be a little bit difficult to see the uh, screen from the back, so I will you know, read out the useful bits and don't worry about the rest. So you know, 93% of 9- to 16-year-olds go online at least weekly, 60% every day or almost every day out of this 25,000 across Europe. So, you know, we're dealing with a large-scale involvement in the Internet, and the most common location of Internet use is the home, 87%, with 63% going online at school. Uh, and uh, the home is the chief sort of focus of this, but also, if you like, young people's overall lives, but not primarily focusing on schools in this talk. Uh, I don't know whether that's an interesting figure or not. I think it is. Access by handheld device exceeds one in five in Norway, UK, Ireland and Sweden currently. Because that's a really fast acceleration going on at present. When you think that to access the internet by a handheld device, by a phone or whatever, or an iTouch or something, you know, for, it can be quite a costly business. Uh, and uh, whereas this was kind of common in places like Japan for quite a while, it's really very recent that now young people are beginning to get onto the internet by mobile devices. And, and that's a sort of a little glimpse of a future that hasn't quite arrived yet, but is coming fast. 85% of 9 to 16-year-olds use the uh, internet for schoolwork. And that certainly is obviously a very major focus of what I'm talking about tonight, the way the internet connects with uh, young people's learning in various respects. And as I said, this is from uh, Livingston and uh, many others, Risks and Safety on the Internet, and uh, just, just published online. So I'm talking about a project which is just coming to an end that I, I, I've been involved in since uh, April 2008, which was funded by an organisation known as BECTA, uh, which originally stood for the British Education and, uh, Communication, Educational Communications and Technology Agency, but uh, sort of gave up that when it wasn't quite British anymore, it was just English, but they didn't want to change their name to ICTA for some reason. Uh, BECTA was like the first organisation, the first uh, quango to be closed by the coalition government. It was like the one they started with, it was quite memorable really, like within like half an hour of coming into power. Uh, and um, I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure why. Uh, and uh, indeed, today I've just been talking to someone at the Department for Education, at the Ministry, about what's happening to all the work that Bechter did. Uh, and you can hear a sort of slight tone of despair in his voice. You know, they've employed about 30 of Bechter people back in the department. They've got a, a, a website called the National Archive where... The immense number of resources, reports, and so on that Bechter had can be, word found would be an exaggeration, but are located, and if you're lucky, you could find them. Uh, and they, they might be, you know, uh, London University might be looking after those resources. But what you've got is years and years of work uh, that has sort of been just thrown down the drain overnight. 
Uh, now, I'm not here to sort of say whether that better in itself is a good organisation or not, but it represents a real watershed in which gov- central government is saying, we used to deal with these issues, we used to create policy and, and, and put uh, money into things such as ensuring that proper uses were made of educational technology, but now we don't need to because A, people know how to do that for themselves, and B, industries... Uh, companies like Microsoft and research machines can do that. We don't need to be involved. We'll see whether they're right or not, but uh, I'll pick up one or two things as we go on to suggest that the policy side of this is not trivial. Um, anyway, Becker funded us, and uh, we went along, had a you know, very interesting time. Then they suddenly uh, got closed. So our last six months has been off sort of residual funds, but that's fine, uh, and we will carry on to the end of the project, more or less as intended. Uh, it's quite a big project, and the aim of it was to look at, it was called, as you can see, the learner in their context, never my favourite title, but we had to stick with it, but how young people use technologies in their lives and their learning, primarily away from school. As they put it, in the 85% of their time when they're not at school, but you know, quite a lot of that 85% they're asleep, so I think it's entirely accurate. Um, and they wanted us to look at, across the age range from children in primary school up to young people in uh, university. And even at one stage, but policy keeps changing, uh, adults in, uh, in uh, community education, but then they lost interest in that quite early on. Uh, so we had a very wide uh, brief, uh, and uh, they wanted us also to look at children uh, in the care of social services, uh, and also, at one stage, young offenders. But I can tell you that it's actually quite tricky going to ask a young offender how they use the internet because, of course, they're not actually allowed to. So no, we didn't get far with that one. <laughs> Quickly discovered that was a bit of a dead end. Um, so that, that involved a team from the Department of Education, from Oxford Internet Institute, and from uh, University of Computing Services Learning Technologies Group, uh, and uh, a number of uh, contract researchers. Uh, and, and this was basically turned in, our, our design was a, a longitudinal study of, uh, in the first place, 100 young people, and then we added others on as we went uh, across that age range, who we would initially contact through schools and colleges uh, and go and interview about their uses of technology, and then a subsection of them uh, were to be uh, interviewed in the home, along with their parents, showing us how they were using technologies in their homes, uh, and then revisited over the course of the, the three years. Some three times, some we're, we're still in the process of wrapping up and revisiting two or three years on. We also, at the same time, did a, a large-scale representative national survey, uh, to, uh, randomly chosen to sort of balance what we were finding in the qualitative work, which was certainly not... Uh, a randomly selected sample. Uh, it was in a particular area, part of the UK in the Reading area, uh, and, uh, which had advantages and disadvantages. We chose it because it was sort of socially diverse. But on the other hand, you know, it sunk in as we went on. It's also <laughs> quite a big centre of the sort of technology industries. And you know, we kept on getting parents who, you know, oh, yes, I learned how to do this when I was two because my dad works in technology. And so we, you know, we got a bit skewed on that. But our main area was to try and learn more about what young people who use technologies at home use it for. So in the first instance, we weren't trying to meet those who don't use it. We were trying to meet those who do. Uh, so tons of data. We did all sorts of different things that I'm not going to refer to, to tonight, like we talked to young people going into work and employers about how the skills they learn in their own time are relevant to the workplace. We had some really interesting work with uh, young people in care looked after children and, and children with special needs, and that's a whole area we hope we can follow up because there was some really important stuff there. So you know, it's a very wide-ranging uh, study. We talked to a lot of young people in university, and I'm not going to refer to that particularly today either. And, and we didn't start with research questions because we're working for the government. They told us the areas and the topics they wanted us to cover, but we gradually developed these in order to write about it and analyse things. We really need to know what our research questions were. So we had these sort of two quite broad questions. Uh, And they grew out of our first months of the study. In what ways do young people experience and use technologies in their daily lives? And how do these ways vary within and across different age groups? 
and in what ways do young people experience and use personal technologies for learning of various kinds and how do these ways vary within and across different age groups. The point being that we had to break away from uh, the starting point that young people are a kind of homogenous, sort of logically constructed group. They all have a certain kind of enthusiasm for using technology. They all do the same sorts of things. Well, they do do the same sorts of things, but not in the same sorts of ways. Uh, and variation was what was interesting to us as much as commonality. A bit of both, but we tried to break down and see what the differences were and see what's needed to you know, ensure that all get the best out of these opportunities. So I thought, actually, I ought to spend a moment or two talking about learning, because we, all, we sort of cheerfully use the word learning, uh, as if everybody has the same understanding of it. Uh, and we had to use the word an awful lot, also we had to use the word learners an awful lot. We weren't allowed to call them young people. Every time we'd write a report and said young people, they'd cross it out and say, no, you've got to call them learners, which sort of was very, you know, policy speak, because young people are sometimes learners and sometimes they're not, you know, and, and it, it was a bit sort of... Pious, I think, to call them learners the whole time. Uh, but we don't have to do that anymore. We can call them young people again. But what do we mean by learning? Well, I mean, on one level, obviously, one thing learning means is quite simply the work you do as a student on a formal course of study, a course whose content and assessment is decided by professionals. That's as near as a definition I can get. All the things you do in order to get by at school, to succeed at school and college and so on, where well, you haven't selected the, the learning, but you're working within it, formal education. Uh, and, and that was obviously the, the prime concern uh, of, of the study, was to see how technologies were helping achieve that. But also, the, 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 there's a sort of thing at the end of it as well, how's it preparing them uh, for the uh, sort of knowledge economy and so on. And, and if we look back over what the uh, new Labour government had invested, and I can't remember the figures, but they're, you know... I know that, for instance, in 2008-9... Uh, 880 million was spent by schools on new technologies. And that's, you know, after a long, long period of investment that was being spent. So these are vast sums of money. And people quite rightly said, well, what impact is it making? How has it changed things? Is it, are these the right choices? Um, so obviously there's some big questions to be asked about, you know, how these things are being used and whether they're being used appropriately. So that's one definition of learning, obviously, we're talking to. How do, they, how do technologies help young people to do the things they have to do within formal education? And then, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, endlessly complex theoretical descriptions of it. It's the kind of a mishmash uh, of them. The mental and social processes by which your knowledge, understanding and behaviour are configured and reconfigured throughout life. Uh, so a completely different sort of notion of learning, you know, which encompasses all the things that happen to you and the way you begin to build and develop, make sense of them, change that sense with new personal and social experiences. And, uh, that seems to us and also an extremely important part of the sort of notion of learning we're talking about. Uh, another kind of version of this would be talking the language of sort of lifelong learning also and becoming self-actualised and autonomous learning to take your place and, and, and find out the things you need to know for yourself and develop your own future. But also this one is quite an important one, a reason to get your parents to buy you a computer. And then that one certainly figures very largely in our search because it was absolutely at the crux of, you know, kids are not stupid. And they do want their computers for learning as well, but they also know that the one way they're going to get that equipment is, is to play on their parents' anxieties uh, about the future, which of course then becomes quite a complex problem for them after a while as well, as you know, we might see. And then technology, because I haven't actually you know, really clarified much about what we mean by that. Uh, so a very broad title is, it's not just the objects, it's the digital resources and networks and the means for using those. I mean, it doesn't go all the way. And sometimes we talk to young people and say, tell us about the technologies you use at home. And so they get clever and say, I've got a microwave and I, you know, cook my food in the microwave. And no, we have this particular notion of uh, digital resources and networks and the ways of getting those. And that they have increasingly characteristics of convergence and multifunctionality. In other words, increasingly young people are using any number of devices forgetting at digital resources and networks and talking to each other and having experiences. Uh, so that that could include smartphones, 
tablets, though they're not using those particularly, like the iPad, laptops, netbooks, games consoles. Uh, if, you, if you talk to a youngster using an Xbox Live, uh, they might well be you know, using that, playing a game as a way of communicating with old friends, new friends, people they haven't met before, all sorts of, of networks. Uh, and, th and these machines are being used for many, many things, not just for the game you play on them. And so I think increasingly young people are knowing how to move from machine to machine and to get the sort of access to what they want to do regardless. But also, in the end, and most of the time, we're still talking about computers and the internet. And that's the, the number one resource that young people want to assure that they have. And that's what something like, we would say in this country, 85% of school-aged children have at home is access to uh, a, an internet-connected computer. And uh, the, the figure is larger for those not connected, but the key thing is connectivity. That figure might well have improved because one of the, the, the very, I think, successful uh, jobs that the last government did in its last year was the home access scheme, whereby they funded uh, internet-connected computers to those children whose uh, you know, incomes and situations meant that they didn't have them at home. Uh, and, and that actually went very, very well. They also had a, a targeted groups version of it aimed at children with special educational needs and special circumstances, such as looked after children. We'll mention one or two of those before. In order to try and bring it up, if not to 100%, certainly a lot nearer. But I don't know where they got before. The scheme wasn't knocked on the head. It was allowed to work its way through, which is good. But computers and the internet, obviously, still, despite that growth in mobile devices, um, are the main things that children are looking to have at home. Uh, the language is usually varied. You know, and if you say, if you've got a computer, sometimes they say, no, I've got a laptop. Right, that's a different object for many. But uh, in, in, in homes, there's a tremendous variety, obviously, of such equipment, tremendous variety of where these things are placed, uh, you know, depending on age especially, often in a central spot in the house, then later on in, in the room for the child. But that ability to connect with the Internet for a variety of reasons is central. And that, when we're talking about technology, is what we're referring to, that range. Uh, a few of the sort of figures from our own study. Um, sorry, so I'm trying to get in there. Very welcome. Um, that's fine. No problem. Uh, in, in the 1,000-plus uh, survey we did, and that was 2008. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now. But that's sadly the, the rerun of that. Do go grab a seat. You Please, I won't be disturbed. Um, uh, that figure might well have changed a lot, and that was one of the things we weren't able to do when, when Vector closed. But you, know, you can see the figures as age eight, regularly using the internet, was sort of something approaching two-thirds, just over two-thirds of eight-year-olds. Uh, Twelve and 14-year-olds really were the peak, and it was sort of slightly calming down for 17 and 19-year-olds. But uh, that was, and we asked that question simply as a starting point to then go and ask lots of detail about what they used and when, but that was the sort of baseline we were at. And, and mobile phone use, uh, sort of similar process, though increasing with the older ones. Uh, I suspect that two, three years on, that figure has, those figures have changed quite a lot. Going to secondary school certainly was the sort of rite of passage to getting a mobile phone uh, but now it might be the right of passage getting a smartphone and you know, people are getting a mobile phone a year or two earlier. I suspect that it is coming down the age range because everything is. Um, and obviously they're given for a variety of reasons, for safety, for concerns, especially about girls, about being able to you know, let parents know where they are, which is possibly why that figure is con consistently higher for, for girls and boys. And a small little bit about what they do for that, what they do in their communications. Uh, and it's interesting because actually a large number are sending emails and so you'll read about sort of the modern young person never using email well in 2008 they were and I think they still are some of them uh, of course now Facebook has, has as I'll say a bit more about in the moment swept across the age range and, and changed things very dramatically since we did this in 2008 and that's one of the really fascinating things Facebook was there uh, also, the younger ones, 12 to sort of 14-year-old, were using 
Bebo, another social networking for younger users, which is dust gone, vanished. And now uh, 12, 13-year-olds are already on Facebook. And indeed, uh, the Livingston study shows that 49% of 11 to 12-year-olds are now in social networks. Now, I think these are immensely important. Not just, you know, there is a whole issue of risk and, and so on, but also in terms of how they're accessing the internet, what the internet means to them, uh, what they're doing there. Uh, these are very, very major changes going on in front of our eyes. Okay, so in, the, in our first year and then increasingly as we went on, we began to build up not a particularly amazing uh, collection of the, you know, uh, account of the things that they use these uh, resources for. But uh, I think it's one we feel fairly confident about and confident saying that really the vast majority of young people do some of, some of each of these. So some social networking and communicating via a social networking site, primarily and almost exclusively Facebook now. Texting, email, it's not, you know, I certainly don't find it true that they're not emailing at all. And instant messaging using, you know, MSN and various other things. And not, they don't all love Facebook, but they all have to make a decision about whether they're on it or not. It's a choice now that they once was maybe just... You might or you might not, but now you have to know and be able to argue why you are or not. So that's a massive part of young people's uses, and the evidence suggests that slightly more girls and boys do that, but it's not that big a difference. Then what we might call leisure activities, online games playing, using games consoles, uh, listening to music, downloading music, watching TV on demand, something that absolutely rocketed up during the course of our study uh, so that youngsters choosing to go and watch TV in their rooms if they had a, an internet-connected computer and choosing to watch what they wanted through iPlayer and for On Demand. So that gave them very different viewing experiences and viewing videos online, that kind of thing, watching YouTube. But, again, an age-related thing, clearly. Um, creative activities, the one where one might want to offer most reservations about, well, maybe they don't all do that, but I think a very large number do a small amount of that at least, whether it's music composition and recording, that's more specialist. Video editing, picture editing, now you're getting really, you know, if you think, if they're taking pictures on their phones and editing them on the phones, that's very common. Composing stories, some of them writing games, uh, inventing games of one kind or another. So there is, I think that people have been a little worried, okay, it's, it's still quite consumerist, but I, I think that there is scope, I think, to say that all young people are doing a small amount of that kind of thing just as they, they're doing some degree of participation in offline and online groups and communities, whether it's as members of a sporting club, different affiliations, youth clubs, uh, cadet force, uh, religious groups, very strong. A lot of youngsters, especially in the Reading area, it's a very strong area for that, belonging to religious groups and, and, and experiencing those on, online. And often their affiliations are, are both offline and online. And not to be forgotten, schoolwork. Uh, and I present, in a way, a sort of fairly limited picture there of, of what they use it for, but that's pretty accurate uh, as a sort of baseline, using Word, PowerPoint, and Excel a bit, and Google and Wikipedia. And, and that, that for a, a large number, that you know, they will produce work to present back to school uh, in Word or PowerPoint. Sometimes they'll do something a little bit more adventurous in Excel and they will be looking for information and, and reprocessing it from Google and Wikipedia. Uncomfortably because they're being told very strongly they shouldn't be doing so. Uh, and sometimes so strongly that they're not even making sensible judgments. So that's the kind of overall picture of the mainstream uses. Learning's part of it, but there's a broader picture uh, in which it fits in. But then when we come to the variation, because that's not particularly uh, vary. I mean, it varies in degree of intensity. And, 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 and this sort of chart, which is that we keep on developing, and I think it's developing because it sort of keeps changing. And if you can't see it, I will explain what it says. Um, so it's, I, try to call, I keep on trying to think what this chart is a chart of exactly. But it's, it's different ways that they, are or, they orientate towards technology. They feel about it. And those feelings about it are quite important because they have an effect on how they use it, but they also, you know, 
It's very hard to get the picture, especially because you've got this mainstream picture of what most are doing, what I've just shown. Then there's sort of underneath the ambivalent users. And they're doing more or less the same things, but they tend to say, I don't really like doing it, but I do a bit of it. Then very differently at the, you know, the top of this chart, you've got the intensive users and, the in, and, and becoming intensive and specialist users, sometimes not doing the full range. They're, they're going really deep into certain things. Very important at the bottom, you know, acknowledging the unconnected and vulnerable learners. You know, because we are talking about something, maybe it's not as much as 15% now, but it's probably still about 10%, who aren't getting those same experiences. They aren't getting those same social and academic opportunities. And then the sort of and this is very much a teenage thing. I feel it's in the early teenage years, or just before, 12, 13, when these, these uses begin to coalesce, and they coalesce through the secondary school, uh, through the secondary school social experiences, not the so secondary school teaching so much, uh, and, and the, form the model that, that develops onwards. As they hit the older years in secondary school, the priorities become for learning, and they slightly shift the balance. The pre-teenage years, and I'll illustrate a few examples of this, uh, still seem to be very much the sort of apprenticeship where between them, between siblings and friends and parents, and, and primary schools are quite good at introducing them to these things, they begin to sort of dabble and, and take these things forward. Uh, sometimes dabbling involves a five-year-old playing online with someone in Spain, but that's probably okay. They're having interesting experiences, but they're very small pockets of experience. They don't sort of join up. Um, whereas the intensive users, I think, are very interesting because often they're the ones whose personal real interest in one particular activity, which might be music recording, using their technology to record music, then turn into interests that might form the rest of their sort of, the influence of study they do, their choice of A-levels, even their choice of university. We certainly met those. We met someone doing audio recording in his last year at university who said at 11 was when I started this because I loved it so much, and that... that so that intensive use is a very significant part of their learning lives, but that isn't the case for everyone. Others, it's really quite mundane. I still don't know if we're right in, in this separation of the sort of mainstream users and the ambivalent users. Uh, I think coming back after two or three years, the people are talking to some of the excitement that they have when they just got access to these things, because it's only in quite recent years that you know, it's been general in the home that people have got broadband, has become obviously slightly more mundane and... and, and, and not quite so exciting. For some people, the pressure to use Facebook and MSN and so on made them weary, and they actually are backing off a bit. Uh, but whereas the unconnected and vulnerable learners are often the ones who aren't able to do these things and feel a tremendous urge and longing to. So it's, it's, there's a lot of variation, and that's why, for me, any talk of things like the digital native, I don't know if you've heard of that much-used term, versus a digital immigrant. It sounds convincing. You know, young people are natives, they speak the language of technology. Instinctively, older people have to kind of learn it, you know, uh, like outsiders, immigrants. Uh, I, I don't buy it. Uh, many people don't, because actually when you look at young people, there's tremendous variation. Some get it, some don't. Some love it, some don't. And the same is true with adults. I think, in some respects, young people have the same range of experiences and feelings about technology as everyone else as adults, but they have a particular commitment to it relating to their age, which is the urge to gain autonomy and, and, and independence. And, and for them, that's the thing they share, not necessarily an instinctive skill, but a very strong motivation to get technology in their lives. Uh, right, so a little bit about some of these different groups, pre-teenagers. Uh, that's a, I mean, that's a good post of that, because it, that's, that's the reality of how a lot of people are using technology at home. And, you know, I, I just think it's not great. Poor little lad is back bent. You know, you know, it's wonderful he's got access to it, but it's, you fear for him in the long run if he's going to be sat there doing that. Um, so just a few of what these, these youngsters said about these things. I won't read out all the quotes, but just odd bits. Um, so a couple of nine-year-olds. Normally I go on the internet and play Neopets or Sims, or I just go on Word and do my homework. I go to Excel and do like times tables. That's all I really do. I've learned how to put iTunes and how to use Excel properly. So I mean, absolutely, the sort of apprenticeship, trying stuff out, beginning to flex their muscles, but not having a particular particular use for these things. I'm quite good at typing. I just like messing around, going on all sorts of things. 
And I know quite a lot. I don't have problems. Another one. I like doing story. I like typing up stories on my computer, printing them out, pretending we're playing schools with my sister, pretending that a child made this and I have to read it. Uh, I love this one. I'm only allowed... Well, I know the password for my normal email address, but I'm not allowed to email anyone, only my mum and dad. Uh, why do they want you to do that? Well, I'm not sure, really. But there's, there's a lovely sort of apprenticeship example sending his mum and dad emails. Uh, and, and then the fear, because that, that was quite strong. Sometimes you get emails and then you have attachments and, they, and you have viruses in it which could probably kill your computer because the whole sort of virus thing is a sort of looming fear in them. Uh, and, and I don't think that's changing remarkably. Only a week ago we went and talked to three youngsters, all primary school age. Uh, and... and Although things are getting more sophisticated, now we said to the 11-year-old, you, you wanting to use Facebook? And he looked blank. So, I mean, I don't think they're quite, you know, they, they, they haven't, I guess it's a developmental thing. They're still wanting to play and explore, but not necessarily create those kind of networks for themselves. Uh, I don't know what kind of picture would represent teenagers. That's maybe a bit too tidy in my experience. But, <laughs> but here, you know, you begin to see a sort of, ramping up of uses. So this one talked about how much he uses it. From seven until I go to bed, I'm on the computer. Or this other one, very similar. Well, when I get home, I normally go on my computer and chat to my friends, like on MSN and stuff like that. Sometimes I call them. I usually call them quite a lot, and I go on my computer quite a lot as well, texting and stuff like that. And she said, hours later on. And again, we just interviewed a young 12-year-old who's got an Xbox Live where he talks you know, to his friends from his previous primary school, their friends at secondary school, and he says, if I can get away with it, I go on about four, and I carry on to about ten, and if I can really get away with it, I take my food upstairs. Uh, and he said, I'm very proud when my parents ask me how to play games, but <laughs> they know that he knows. Um, so that, that is obviously one anxiety, that they're just on too much. And, and a lot of parents are resisting that with notions of screen time. There was that book, I think it was Book of the Week, on Radio 4 not long ago, where a mother disconnected her children completely for, was it three months, something like that, which didn't go down too well. Um, but this is a big, big issue. One of the parents we met had an egg timer, and she'd set it to half an hour, and said, well, you can have the TV, or you can have your computer. Half an hour's up, that's it. And they, I mean, they were primary age, and I don't know if she'll pull that off forever. And then how do they see it? Well, this, you know, not, not all of them, you know, it's not central to their lives, it's something they want to have in case almost. It's more of like an accessory. I'll be sitting in my room doing homework and always have my computer on because I'll always be listening to music. Uh, and another, it's more fun and stuff. Yeah, and I, like I'd rather do it on there because you can do like, you can play like sort of like activities and games and stuff, but like you're learning at the same time. So she, she knows the language to say. And it's like better if you just sit there reading. It could be boring like. I mean, we, we mustn't forget teenagers, you know, there's nothing new about teenagers. Don't pretend that there was a time when up until a computer, teenagers have spent their lives reading Jane Austen. No. They've always been trying to, you know, do whatever that they can find to make life interesting. But I, th I think that's a great example from this young woman because uh, it's, it's exactly the context and the, and the argument is built in there. Is it better to you know, get them in a place where work is possible, in front of the computer, you know, it's alive, they're doing things, in order to earn that freedom to use it, they have to do some work on it, or is it better to cut them off from it? Uh, you know, there's, a you know, there's a tension which every parent now is having to deal with, no question. And then we, we sort of go to the student mainstream. Uh, well, it's not, in other words, I'm saying the, the, the initial teenager thing is what we've just seen, but then very quickly public exams, GCSEs, A-levels begin to impose. And, and I, I was really, I think we all were, very impressed by how many youngsters we spoke to were very conscious of their future and what they had to do to secure it. Uh, and and you know, we tried to find uh, you know, ones who weren't, but on the whole, this is a great awareness. I, I just put this one up here. This is a super, super organised girl. I'll give you that. She was about 15. I don't know if you can see, but she's used all the sort of organisational resources. All her schoolwork is perfectly put into folders, structured. For her, the computer is something where she feels she can take control of her learning, know what she's got to do, and, and drive it forward. And, and many, many were working like that. Um, and for them, the computer, this is a 14-year-old's upward, really, is, is, is a very important resource. Maybe not always done brilliantly, but 
Coursework is easier when you've got a computer at home. It's a lot faster. It's like there's always a lesson where I have research computer, or it's music or art or something like that. So I'd be lost without the computer. Uh, it's hard for us to, do, to research a lot of things at school because they block a lot of things. And, and many teachers will you know, acknowledge that they expect youngsters to use the internet at home because most of the things they're asking them to do are not possible on school networks. And schools, this is something they need to address because they, they lock them down so much that you can't actually use them to look much up. Um, so we were looking up stuff for some, uh, an essay on Hamlet and it just came up and it was like really easy to use. So that, you know, it's convenient, it's enabling them to do the work and as I say, that's not necessarily terrible. We all appreciate being able to get a bit of information off Wikipedia. Well, I certainly do. And it can be a lot quicker than any, any number of other ways. And for this one, with internet, I can get more in-depth and like get higher results on my own, my GCSE work. They're seeing it as a resource. Uh, and, and like I say, I, I, I'm not coming across people saying, well, it's all just copy and paste, mindless stuff. Sometimes it is, there's no question. But, but these youngsters are very concerned about their futures, and so they want to pass the exams. But that leads, as we'll see in a minute, to sometimes a more ambivalent feeling about doing this. A little bit about the intensive users. This is, well, called here Craig. I, Craig is brilliant. Uh, he, as you can see, he's got a double screen set up at the top of the stairs in this fairly <laughs> compressed area. Craig, well, he still does. This is uh, Craig in 2008. Admittedly, he wanted to be a spy was his actual major ambition. And then when asked last year whether he still wanted to be a spy, he said, yeah, he does. And as he's doing so well, I think he'll probably manage it. They've probably got to learn that you actually come about when you stop telling people you want to be a spy. <laughs> Part of the job description, I think. <laughs> but Craig is great. And, uh, well, there are a couple of quotes. One of his. First of all, from another one. And here is a kid who is he was a great kid. And uh, we've seen him last year, well, two years on. And he's doing fine. But he was just living with his dad, and his dad just left him to it. And you can sort of see the impact of that. I do my homework on it, like research and everything like that. I talk to friends on it via MSN or Skype. I play games on it, like World of Warcraft or EverQuest 2 or something like that. It's mainly just those. I go on YouTube and stuff like that and look at videos. I listen to music on it. It's my life bases around that, really, because I couldn't really live without the computer, to be honest. Now, you know, on one level, you can see this is pretty tragic, but you know, he also plays football. He's in a football team, and he does all sorts of things. So you know, I, I'd be cautious to jump too far. He did admit that at one stage he had a World of Warcraft addiction. He couldn't stop playing it. He got worried. His friends got worried. So they sent him YouTube videos about how to break your World of Warcraft addiction, and he did. So you know, it wasn't so terrible. <laughs> And he's so articulate about it, it's just breathtaking. But, you know, yeah, it was. He was left to his own devices. Clearly, it was dangerous. And it was dangerous in the sense that you know, he began to feel he was losing a grip on, on the sort of balance of his life. And Craig, at the lab we saw in front of two screens, because he's so frustrated by his mum back in 2008. My mum is very paranoid about when I'm supposed to be studying. And then she comes up and I'm on MSN. But the thing is that she doesn't understand that I'm always going to be studying when I'm on a computer from start to finish, but I also need to keep up with my friends. And he does feel that whenever she comes upstairs, happens to be one of those few moments when he's on MSN. But as he also says, but I'm also getting A grades all the time. What's her problem? And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to Craig in a minute. And you can sort of see his point. Um, and then a little bit more from one of the youngsters, 17-year-old, uh, doing his A-levels, who would represent for me, if you like, the, the intensive, the specialist user, uh, an Apple Mac user. And I think for youngsters who are using Apple Macs, it's all the way they signal their particular interest in technology. Uh, and, and here's when talking to these A-level students, we began to see quite a lot of variation. <coughs> Uh, I prefer working on a computer. I think it's a lot better. Lots of them will say, no, I don't like working directly on the computer. I want to handwrite. It's a lot more interactive, especially all the new types of media, music, video. I think that's the direction, really, it needs to go. Rather than sitting down with a textbook, it's a bit boring. Uh, you don't have a, just a single-track view. You don't just have the textbook. By accessing the Internet, you get everyone's opinion from all over the world, whether it's right or wrong. So he's, in a way, beginning to fulfil all the sort of positive talk about getting youngsters online. Um, does he use Facebook? Yeah, all the time. Especially helpful with homework. You'd think, well, why is that? Because, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago you'd phone a mate up and copy it down, but now just on Facebook. So you just put out a call. I'm trying to figure this out. You know, anybody, any advice? Uh, and again, 
Um, you can see this in two different ways, but you could easily argue it's very positive that they are talking with each other about the work they're doing and sharing. Uh, you know, another one said, when she's not sure about a word she's used, she'll send it out a message and get people to say whether it's the right word. Well, that's the kind of collaborative work you know, I think we want to see. So it's not, again, totally negative. And then he's now talking, and this is okay, in effect, this is a relatively well-off part of the world. Uh, and he says most of the, uh, well, that's, I'll read it out. Nowadays, you've got Facebook on your phone. It almost removes the need for other communications. The majority of people my age have got a smartphone. The majority of people here got a smartphone. And if you've got a smartphone in class and they explain something, you can always look it up if you don't quite get it on your phone there and then. So, right, that's, that's the image. It's there now. You know, it's not there everywhere. I don't believe all sixth formers have got iPhones or Blackberries, but in this school they have. And we talked to many other, it's true. And, and the teachers, I, once again, I think we're good for them. They're, they're encouraging them to use them in sensible and productive ways, to feed into the class. You know, okay, check that out on your iPhone. And so they're beginning to be the kind of mobile learners that people have talked about for a long time and haven't just haven't quite appeared before now. But they're not all quite so um, enthusiastic, going back to the notion of ambivalence. Uh, and th- this, again, as an awful lot will say it like this, I never like to spend a lot of time on the computer. Well, that's a lie. I do spend quite a lot of time on the computer. Um, Sometimes teenagers get like, really obsessed, and I don't get like that because I enjoy reading and socialising, going out with friends and stuff, and I don't be like a self-obsessed like computer freak. And that's actually quite common. A lot of youngsters are very worried about being seen as sort of geeks and nerds, and you know, there's a, some get a reputation. So the, 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 the ambivalence is simply about how you present yourself, but they're still using it. But I think it can go deeper. Um, if we take Angela, is an extremely bright girl. Very, I was incredibly impressed by her. And she uses technology in many ways. I'm interested in going into medicine after A-levels. So uh, any universities put up their stuff on iTunes U. Uh, I'll just download all of them and listen to the ones I'm interested in. So she's exploring, course, exploring courses that uh, she might like to do. She's using the internet on her own terms. And, and it's very powerful. Uh, she uses Facebook. She's a deputy head girl, so she connects with you know, all the people in the school as much through Facebook as she does through the school network. But she admits that I'm very distracted if I'm on a computer, so I, I try to stay away from it for her work, which is, you know, then that, that was a real surprise. And she describes her working processes, and maybe it's because she's doing science and she feels to get a science A level, you've got to stick with the textbook. Just making notes through the textbook there, and then when I'm making revision notes, I go from the revision guide, and if I'm confused about, any, confused about anything, I go back to the textbook. If I'm still confused, I go to the teacher. If I'm confused at home and I'm stuck there, I'll, I'll Google, it, Google it in, like, help. But, but it's the very last thing she did, and partly she doesn't trust herself because she knows if she's on the computer, she'll be on Facebook and, and distracting herself. Um, can I just have a time check? Is that 6.15? Thank you. I'm working upside down and subtracting. It's not going well for me, but I'm, I think we're okay. Um, so and she reflects something that I think we've come across quite a lot more recently. Uh, and it goes, it's sort of like going in the opposite direction. You've got the Facebook growth, but you've also got to start backing away. And, and I think a lot of what's been said in schools and by parents and in the news about things like Wikipedia, about the reliability of knowledge on the internet, has made them very nervous about using it begin to distrust it as a source of authoritative knowledge and, 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 and hang on to the textbook. And yet, you know, the other lad saying, no, the textbook just gives you one view. I like being able to get far more. So, you know, there's a lot of variation in those different viewpoints there. Um, and parents are understandably concerned to make sure that their children's education is going in the right direction. So, to a certain extent... They respond to the persuasion to buy a computer for us. We want a computer for our learning. But then start regulating in, and, and, and almost undermining its use so that the youngsters then are thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be using it so much for learning. So it's a very interesting tension that's not you know, quite working, maybe. Um, a brief bit about, but and only brief because they deserve a whole session on their own, uh, the unconnected and vulnerable learners. And some... Connect simply means that their lives are more or less okay, but they don't have an internet-connected com- computer at home. Uh, for instance, it was bell gone, and I have a lot of things that I could write, and I was angry that I haven't got a computer because I might finish it at home, and I've got lots of time to do it. But when I'm at school, I need to do it very fast. And 
I usually find myself having to stop at school to do the English work at school. It would be a lot better if I could just go home. And I'm in my own home and I could do my work in a quiet environment where there's no one else there. It's easier. So that, you know, it's still a big issue. And schools, are, you know, I think rightly, trying to push out and into the home and say, you know, you can use these things and explore. You've got more scope and it's great. But that does leave certain ones stranded. And then a very, a very extreme case, but not that extreme, was this delightful lad, a uh, 17-year-old who recently just about to leave care, lived in care since he was 13. No, I mean, lived out on the streets so a large number of uh, occasions between 13 and going into care. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, he got a laptop through the home access scheme and was just absolutely thrilled over the moon with it. I was never brought up around a computer. My laptop stairs is the first time I've really used the internet or any laptop or anything like that. And his sense of having been excluded from what everyone else had. I've never used the internet chat sites or anything like that. And the interviewer says, um, lots of people spend a lot of time on Facebook. He said, yes, that's why they're quick with their typing, which is, I think, very sort of insightful that what's normal for young people, they're getting built into that whole you know, information age. Those that are excluded are cut off in so many ways. So I think I was very perceptive of him. So, you know, this is a, a, a really still big issue. And, and the youngsters in care who have been given uh, laptops, it's a big deal because they might be in homes where they're a computer, but now they've got their own. And the, uh, the big difficulties in these programs to decide how much access they should have because a lot of youngsters in care are very particularly vulnerable, vulnerable to... Uh, people who know them through the internet. And so, you know, these are not straightforward problems. Uh, and I thought there was some tr tremendous work going on, and, which was being run by Bechter and local authorities, and that stopped dead. And I think, that's a, you know, I think that's a really worrying change. So, summing up the final sort of few points, really. Um, this is a quote from a Norwegian researcher, Ola Erstad. Uh, and he talks a lot about learning lives. We need to think about young people's learning lives as a whole. We need to move beyond traditional conceptions of formal versus informal ways of learning and literacy. Young people's learners move between different contexts of learning, both offline and online, in a constant flow of activities. Um, and schools that are, have got this are, are working with that idea, that the learning, they don't just go to school to learn and the, and the real learning happens in all sorts of contexts and schools where you bring it together. Uh, and there's other kinds of learning that isn't school learning going on that's very powerful and important. Uh, we go back to Craig, the lad who wants to be a spy and whose mum despaired of him ever focusing on his work. But here he is in the sixth form. I'm doing government for his A-levels, and government and politics, media studies and ICT. Media studies is going quite well because I did it in year 11. I'm interested as a hobby as well, exactly what I say about the, the intensive user spreading into their uses. The school, fantastically, provided year 12 A-level students with laptops. Everyone received a laptop, provided they stayed on full time. My laptop has become my best friend. It never leaves me. I'm in the Reading West Forum. It's youth parliament, and they have different forums, and they come together. I'm a young person's representative. We discuss agendas and things to be done. Everybody gets told something we need to research or find out, and we go away and compile a list or a table. And now his mum, instead of coming up and complaining, gets me to help her with her work because she's not as good with computers, so I help her research and type stuff out. So there's a happy ending if you wanted one. Um, and, and that spreading round happens. Just two more very brief examples. Martin was an interesting answer. He didn't want to be in social networks. He didn't want to talk on MSN. He wanted to get on for himself. Not everybody has to collaborate and be social. I occasionally research things which come into my head, mainly questions about physics or space, just his own line of interest. Uh, he goes on to forums, a little bit every day, I'd say, on help threads, how to use tools, how, to, how things work. He loves his iPod Touch for browsing the internet when I don't have enough time to start a computer. And I said, would you like uh, an iPad? Now they just kind of like, I said, what's wrong with a three-inch screen, really? Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> you've got to be 15. That's what's wrong. Um, but also, I think there's another aspect of, the, of, of where things ought to be going, but maybe they're not anymore. Um, well, this lad's talking. I put this partly because it makes me laugh, because whenever you go back 20 years, there's any example of how learning helps, the internet helps learning. It's always volcanoes. Microsoft have made so many films about how you know, youngsters can learn about volcanoes on the internet. It's hilarious. But how much do you need to learn about volcanoes? Anyway, they're still doing it, uh, and it's having a good time with it. Um, 
But what interests me here is how he gets those things through the school learning platform, which is like the virtual learning environment, which is the school constructing the connections between home and school, reaching out to the kids, a particular teacher, in constant communication, guiding them on the work they've got to do at home, responding to questions, setting the work, receiving it, responding. So um, then you upload on the intranet to the teacher, the teacher marks it on the intranet, gives you a grade and a comment. I think it's good that way because it's kind of there for you. You see your grades and all, what you've done. You can go back onto those homeworks quite easily. Uh, So that's some sense of beginning to see his learning sort of landscape in a much more complete and visualised way. And and last week I was down at a primary school uh, down in London uh, they're just introducing their learning platform. It's one of the last requirements. The last government was saying that all primary schools had to have a learning platform in place by 2012. Unfortunately, that's now not a requirement. It's just if you think it's a good idea, you might do it. But again, I'm incredibly struck by what this guy has created, the, the ICT teacher there, as a way of you know, these primary school pupils being able to log on, see where they are in, in their lessons, in what's coming up, what they've got to do, take part in sort of joint activities, uh, to communicate with their teacher and each other. It's not a fantastically complex or sort of tech, high-tech thing. It's just a way of bringing them into the process, giving them a place in it, and not just being on the receiving end of it. And, and I've got to say, you know, I'm, especially following my conversation with the guy at the DFE this morning, you know, it's very worrying because there's no, now, gone, any pressure, any drive. Uh, the government's notion that, you know, A, if something's worth doing, people will work it out for themselves. It's not necessarily true. And secondly, let's go back to traditional values of learning, uh, you know, which is the very strong drive. Uh, you know, so an awful lot of things that people were achingly making progress towards over a long period are not going to be pushed through. So you know, I, think, I think it's worrying. That's my position. I agree. Some people might disagree very strongly. Um, but... What we want to be doing is developing, I would say, autonomous, lifelong learners. That's what learning is about, people who begin to take their part and, 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 and create their own directions. And, and, and so there's a mixture of things that, that the technology is doing in that respect. It has tremendous convenience and appeal to young people, but there is also risk online and there's certainly distraction. So in the home, there's that you know, young person's urge towards independence and the parents need to try and regulate that process as best they can. Uh, youngsters take various approaches to that. And I think it's very interesting beginning to understand that. First of all, there's what you might call, this comes from sort of social, work on socialisation from quite a long time ago, strategic compliance. They know the rules, they'll work along with their parents in order to get access to this. And then they'll go one of two ways. I'm suggesting, strategic redefinition, which means they'll work on their parents to help them understand, and the people around them, and their peers, to help them understand new ways of doing things that they're discovering, and they start going beyond just compliance, remaking their learning landscape. But also there are some, quite clearly, who are, if you like, going through the internalised adjustment, they're receiving the anxieties and, and, and the more reserved Uh, concerns, and I'm not knocking them, there are real reservations from the adult world, and backing off. And and so it's not just going, technology doesn't create its own future, people have to work with it to find it. Uh, And and, I think all these things, soggy words like collaboration, trust and engagement, parents and adults working with young people encouraging them to explore, but working with them to do that. A lot of parents now, younger kids, are going on Facebook, are going on Facebook too and joining them there, and that's fine. But this is the stage, and certainly you know, no one else is going to do it, where we've got to encourage the people with young people to, to help them move forward, because there's a lot in here, but it, it's, it's by no means resolved yet. Anyway, I'll stop there, and if there's any time for questions, I'm happy to answer them. Thanks.